One should know what it is to extol and what it is to disparage, and knowing both, one should neither extol nor disparage, but should teach only the Dhamma. Hello, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi, welcoming you to this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. That quotation from the Buddha is a bit of preview for our topic for today's talk. I'm hoping to clear up some common misconceptions when it comes to the popular use of the phrase, the middle way, to help us see just a little more clearly the map the Buddha has drawn for us in the escape from suffering. The Buddha is not cautious of offending when he teaches clearly on what does and does not work to bring an end to suffering. And yet, he taught in some detail how one avoids unnecessary conflict by seeing that what is impersonal is not personal. That discussion is coming up. Something I want to let you know about first, though, in case you're interested in some midweek live practice with us. Deep South Dharma's Wednesday evening group has made a few changes. I know I hinted in an earlier podcast we might be doing that. These changes begin begin this Wednesday, upcoming October 30th, 2019. Content-wise, we're shifting our model a bit to sort of a book club format. We're going to test that out by reading and discussing the book Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree by Buddhadasa Bhikkhu. A carefully paced reading of this book was a very important event in my Dharmacharya training. Venerable Panyawati and Venerable Panyadipa would have us read no more than one chapter every four days, so that we really let it work on us. If you're looking for a deeply spiritual, non-dogmatic understanding of the Buddhist Dhamma, you really may want to try this out. I'll be sharing the book via Zoom right there on the screen during the meeting, or if you join us by phone, you can just listen in or read along with a copy of your own. Now, the other change is in our meeting time to give some of our members a bit more breathing room in the evening. Our start time is moving to 7.30 p.m. Central Time, still ending at 8.30. And again, that starts this Wednesday. About the November 9th day long with Jaya and me at Mindful Nashville, I was very grateful yesterday to get to do a mini planning retreat with her. And I'm really excited about the day we have mapped out for you. If you haven't listened to it yet, go back sometime in the next week or so to the episode from a couple of weeks ago, 10 Qualities of a Beautiful Being, to get some idea of what we'll be exploring. But for now, meet me in the middle way. In Sutta 139 of the Majjhima Nikaya, the Buddha takes as his topic the exposition of non-conflict. 
It's valuable to remember, as we hear the Buddha's words, that he is speaking to those who have made it their goal to attain complete freedom from suffering. He's not saying people should or shouldn't be this way or that way. He's just saying what works. And in fact, this sutta is exactly about making that clear. So if you want a path that leads to freedom from suffering, the Buddha says, quote, one should not pursue sensual pleasure, which is low, vulgar, coarse, ignoble, and unbeneficial. Neither should one pursue self-mortification, which is painful, ignoble, and unbeneficial. The middle way discovered by the Tathagata avoids both extremes, giving vision, giving knowledge. It leads to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to nibbana. And what is that middle way realized by the Tathagata? It is the noble eightfold path and nothing else, namely right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration, end quote. The Eightfold Path and Nothing Else In my work in life, I run into a misconception at times that the Buddha was about moderation in all things. So it may or may not be a surprise to you to learn that moderation in all things is not a Buddhist idea. That idea is said to have shown up in Greek writings anywhere from 250 B.C. to 700 B.C. Even though the Buddha, who lived about 2,600 years ago, uses words that are translated as middle way, there's really no such thing as being halfway between the addiction to self-indulgence and the addiction to self-mortification, as he refers to them elsewhere. If the continuum runs from 0 to 100, what is 50% of self-indulgence or self-loathing? And how could 50 be beneficial when neither of those extremes are beneficial? Although the words Majima Padipada are usually translated as middle way in the suttas, it would also be possible and perfectly uh, viable to translate that phrase as central way or centered way or centered path, which is intriguing to me because it lends itself to the visual of the Dharma wheel with its eight path factors. I want to sidebar for a moment to address the use of the word right when listing the path factors. Sometimes people prefer to use the word wise, wise view, that sort of thing, to avoid sort of triggering the black and white thinking and self-judgment of certain fundamentalist cultures. And certainly, using words like wise or skillful can avoid that. But I do think it useful not to insist on softening that language. I think it's possible to understand that the Buddha is speaking in terms of what direction we want to go. If your goal is to reach a certain town, a map can show you that there may be routes of travel that are more or less efficient more or less interesting, more or less traffic. And so those could be likened to wise or skillful routes or modes of travel. But in the big picture, the map from any given point can help you see the right direction to get where you want to go. And I think it may be important to utilize that awareness. The Buddha was speaking as someone who had spent almost 40 years taking paths that were headed in the direction toward suffering, when what he wanted was freedom from suffering, 
So in his generosity, he is most assuredly not only trying to teach us skill and wisdom in traveling, but most of all, wants to save us time and unnecessary suffering by pointing us in the right direction. Siddhartha Gautama was a man who had lost a mother in early childhood and had been protected and indulged by his father, who seems to have been compensating ever since. Siddhartha grew sick of his privilege and sensual indulgence. He came to a point in his early 30s of recognizing that trying to satisfy his every bodily craving was not satisfying, and that he was doing nothing with his life that would allow him to give anything of real or lasting value to his own son. At first, he followed the spiritual role models of his day, those available to him, in his search to reach the deathless, meaning he wanted to reach something lasting, that which has never taken birth and therefore cannot die, that which is unconditioned. Siddhartha's spiritual role models were all about self-mortification because the self was believed to be housed in the body, trapped in the body, and for six or eight years Siddhartha practiced in ways that took the body to extremes of deprivation in the hope that by breaking the body the self would be set free to realize the deathless. We may think this odd, And yet this very tension between extremes does show up in our culture today with indulgence of the body on one hand and the obsession with taming and training and reaching the ideal perfect body on the other. When he saw the pointlessness in both of these extremes, Siddhartha went off on his own to practice until he resolved this riddle for himself. Having repaired body and mind after a period of starvation, he took a look without the previous assumptions of his culture, which is why he so often says that his practice was to see things as they really are. The result was not that he found the deathless in some kind of middle between self-indulgence and self-deprivation. It was more that letting go of ideas of self allowed him to find sort of a trap door that let him off of that continuum of self altogether. His focus shifted away from indulging self or fighting self to walking a path that leads in the direction of the deathless. And in this, he woke up to the fact that the deathless is here and now. But in teaching those of us who are not fully awakened beings, The Buddha reminds us constantly that the path is not a conflict between selves, but an awareness of what states are useful and what states are not useful or skillful for setting us free. He sees that clearly. We may hear and understand it intellectually at times, but we don't yet live in a state of really being able to perceive it. So he explains, How does there come to be extolling and disparaging and failure to teach only the Dhamma? When you say all those engaged in the pursuit of scent pleasures are beset by suffering, vexation, despair, and fever, and they have entered upon the wrong way, you are disparaging some people. And then when you say all those disengaged from the pursuit of sense pleasures are without suffering, vexation, despair, and fever, and they have entered upon the right way, You're extolling other people. And further on, the Buddha says, 
So how does there come to be neither extolling nor disparaging, but teaching only the Dhamma? So he's saying, how do we get off of that continuum of self to help people find the direction? When instead you say, the pursuit of sense pleasures is a state beset by suffering, vexation, despair, and fever, and it is the wrong way, then you teach only the Dhamma. So you're not saying when people do this or that, you're saying this pursuit. Likewise, when you say the engagement for that pursuit of sense pleasures is a state without suffering, vexation, despair, and fever, and it is the right way to get free of suffering, then you teach only the Dhamma. And after a lengthy exposition giving many similar and related examples, the Buddha concludes his particular sermon with the following. He says, You should train yourself thus. We shall know the state with conflict, and we shall know the state without conflict, and knowing these, we shall enter upon the way without conflict. So the Buddha is showing us that even the way we understand and speak of Dhamma can either cause more suffering for us and others or lead to its release. Part of what is being illuminated for us here is that if we use the teaching of the Eightfold Path as a list of topics for beating ourselves up or as eight reasons to sit in judgment of other people, we have not found the middle way. But... When we keep our focus centered on understanding deeply what states lead to suffering or to its release, and we return to that center every time we start to get drawn into controversy about this or that person, this or that teaching, this or that situation, we can live in harmony with how things really are. And we can respond wisely, skillfully, but yes, also we can respond in the right direction to situations that do require our involvement. Let's sit with that for just a moment. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.